and welcome to the Sound of History podcast. My name is Mika. That's Nick. <laughs> Just that. <laughs> they can't see me. They don't know. <laughs> welcome to the show. I don't know what this voice is. All right. Well, now I don't know where to go. I don't. My interests. <laughs> <laughs> So I feel like I say this at every episode, but sorry for the delay in episodes. It's my fault. Well, it's work's fault, but hopefully you will be working less starting like next month. So we hopefully have a lot we'll of, we have a lot of hopes tied up on me working less. <laughs> like I will be working less, but will life get better? Surely, right? I don't know about life. I was just talking about our podcast. Oh, I'm talking about life. <laughs> I have a our lot podcast. tied up on um our podcast is life. That is true. Uh, okay. Well, hopefully we'll be we'll have more chances to record when you're not working. That's true. Like literally every weekend. So Anyway, it's this weekend. I'm not working. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll have an episode next week then. We'll see. Okay, anyway. Do you have anything to to tell the people? Um, after your long absence. Hi, guys. Now you got to do your jingle. Mika is the host now. <laughs> My mental health is hanging on a thread, and that thread is therapy, Jesus, and apparently also baths. And cats. The cats, too. Well, and you. One in particular. Echo doesn't really help you. She's your cute, health. though. Yeah. Serotonin. My friend told me to take a bath the other day, and it just so happened that I cleaned my bathtub two days prior, and it was perfect. It was so nice. I'm still not over it. <laughs> I was so relaxed. She stayed so in there so long. I thought she fell asleep and drowned herself. I did it. I was <laughs> reading because I do that now. She learned how. Yeah. Shout out to Madison and Kelsey over at Novel Nashville. They actually did the impossible and got me to like reading. So that's a fun podcast. If you also don't like reading or if you do. Yeah. But yeah, baths. Yeah, <laughs> it was nice. Some bath salt. My legs were jello afterwards which was really cool that's you know i like jello okay yeah it was good anything else to, to plug no all right i don't know what else do i i don't know what else i like i don't know it doesn't have to be what you like <laughs> We just saw the Batman. That was good. Batman was good. Robert Pattinson was great. Very impressed. All right. Well, I guess Mika's no longer the host now. Nick is the host now. That was new. All right. Well, bookends. we're almost at the end of the 60s. Welcome to the 60s. <laughs> We've got three episodes left, I think. So what genre of music comes to mind that is like the opposite of your current state, your current mental and energy state? The opposite of my mental state? Well, maybe not the opposite of your mental state. The opposite of your energy level. The opposite of my energy level. Opera. <laughs> I did not expect you to go. That's what, yeah, there's so much energy, <laughs> so loud, well, we're, so technical. I, I guess we're close. We're talking about opera? We're talking about metal today. See, sometimes that is my mental state where it's just. Yeah, that's why like, I said energy level. <laughs> but metal is also loud and technical and. I don't know. It, the same things you use more to describe chaotic. opera. Well, yeah, it sounds more chaotic, but like once you know what you're looking for, it's a little bit more nuanced. Anyway, 
It's a close cousin of psychedelic rock, which is what we've talked about the past couple episodes. So if you don't, if you haven't listened to that, don't remember it. Go listen to those. It'll or, be a good little intro to this. What are we talking about? Metal. <laughs> Metal. Yes. Metal. So at eventually metal becomes something very different than what it started out as. But at the beginning, it was pretty close to psychedelic rock. So, psychedelic rock was less than I thought it was also. Okay. I expected it to be more crazy. And so that doesn't surprise me that if metal started out more like, I guess, chilled yeah. than what I think of. Yeah. That makes sense. What is So what do you think of when you think of metal music? Screaming. Okay. That's just it. Think of spiky hair. <laughs> okay. And electric guitars. That's fair. Really loud. Yeah. Yep. That's a big thing. So heavy metal really started its heyday in the early 70s. Three of the top bands and pioneers of the genre started in 1968. So many people view that as the actual start of the genre. So I'm putting it in the 60s instead of in the 70s. And people just have to deal with that. No one is mad about that. Some people might be. There are a lot of really big music history buffs who very much care about the technicalities. I don't think they're listening to us. I don't I don't think you're going to get any of these, but who would you guess are the three foundational bands of heavy metal? Marilyn You've heard Manson. of two of them, for sure. It's not Marilyn Manson. Okay. Is that it? It's just Marilyn Manson, Marilyn Manson, and Marilyn Manson. Mice and Men? They're very modern. <laughs> so it would be kind I don't of know. <laughs> I'm surprised you pulled them out of the bag. Yeah, I don't know. Of Mice and Men started in like 2008 or something. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's Led Zeppelin. Okay. Black Sabbath and Deep Purple. Led Zeppelin is... They're one of the pioneers. Okay. They're one of like the first starters of metal music. I wouldn't, I guess, think of them with metal music, but maybe that's because I don't know my shit. Maybe. They all started in 1968. And soon, they'd pioneer the heavy metal genre throughout primarily the UK and the USA. We'll talk about Led Zeppelin next episode, so we're not going to be focusing on them as much in this episode. We might, like, touch on them a little bit. But, yeah, they're fun, so it'll be a good episode. Cool. Heavy metal is normally characterized by its energy. It's harsh, hard vocals, a deep rhythm section, and loud, distorted guitars. It is a subgenre of rock music, but focused more on loud and aggressive sounds and less on that kind of like syncopated blues type feel. Taking the lead from the rock bands of the British Invasion, they primarily featured a singer, two guitars, a bassist, and a drummer. Some groups might use pianos, and many of them started to use synthesizer synthesizers at some point to give the sound kind of like a more full feel. In the 80s? Yeah, probably in the 80s when that started happening. Maybe even like mid-70s. Because of the loud noises of both the lead guitar and the vocals kind of fight for dominance in most of the songs. They work together and compete against each other. A lot of times... It's all that aggression. Yeah. They have to fight something. So might as well be their, themselves. <laughs> Why is that so deep? <laughs> <laughs> A lot of times, the tone of the voice is more important than the actual lyrics, and the singer's voice is almost required to be subordinate to the overall band. Instead of being the primary focus, it's just another element that enhances the overall sound. I vibe with that. Yeah. So that's why in a lot of like heavy metal, you'll just get the singer screaming syllables instead of actual words, because the lyrics... I mean, it depends on the band you talk about, of course, but... At least in the early days, it was just kind of like, it was just about how it sounded. It was just another instrument. Also, authenticity is super important. So singers often sing with enhanced emotion to drive home that authentic feeling, which That's is like hilarious now. because that means it's inauthentic. If you're on purpose enhancing it, then it's inauthentic. But, you know, whatever. That's also 
parallel to you're so quiet now i'm (laughs) tired tempo or speed can also play a part in metal metal guitarist why did you say tempo or speed i don't know it's because speed's another word for tempo it's also a drug so maybe speed also played a part in that way probably Metal guitarists kind of take a lot of pride in the dexterity and the speed of their hands as they play. That speeds up the rest of the song and instruments as well, but it all works together to create a high-energy feeling. Metal lyrics traditionally focused on dark and depressing subjects and images, more so than any pop music that came before it. Images. Yeah. I mean, like, image in terms of the image of the band like they're wearing uh, dark clothing a lot of chains and then just the stages and stuff like there's just a lot of demonic imagery in some of their stuff Ooh, sex and drugs are also prominent themes a lot of music critics have criticized metal lyrics as being juvenile and banal others criticize what they see as celebrating misogyny in the occult In the 80s, parents petitioned Congress to regulate music as a pushback against primarily heavy metal music. Lord. But a music critic said that metal music will always be around no matter what Congress tries to do. Huh. That's a thinker. (laughs) I think it's more the spirit of this. Because, like, we've literally seen through this entire podcast parents getting annoyed at the music that their kids are listening to because they think it's loud and banal. And then, then the kids grow up, then they get annoyed at the music. They're, they're, it's not real music. Like, that's consistent thing. Yeah. Uh, this, that music critic said that it seems metal, quote, will be with us for as long as ordinary white boys fear girls, pity themselves, <laughs> and are permitted to rage against a world they'll never beat. <laughs> oh, end quote. my God. <laughs> Oh my god, he told them. Oh my god, that is the best roast I've ever heard in my life while being on the side of something. That is amazing. Oh my god. So no one is really sure where the term heavy metal for music actually came from. It's been largely attributed to countercultural writer William Burroughs, who had someone called Uranian Willie the Heavy Metal Kid in a book in 1962. In 1964, he expounded on the phrase and used it as a metaphor for addictive drugs. It was also used to describe anything powerful as early as the 19th century, and rock critics were using it to describe a certain type of powerful music as early as 1967. So that's kind of the characteristics of what metal metal music is. So now we're going to get into the history of it. You ready for that? No. Feel like you got a grasp of what heavy metal is? No. Then I'm doing. Let's start over. Then, back okay. to the top. Reread the script. Heavy metal traces its origins to the rock bands of the late '50s and early '60s, especially the ones that started to focus on a more distorted sound. Through the '60s, bands started to get louder and louder. Bands like Cream, the Yardbirds, and the Jimi Hendrix Experience are credited with introducing and developing the heavier drums and bass sound cream yep they have cool. they have depending on who you ask one of the best drummers of all time in their band nice a guy named ginger baker anyway that's a great name here is cream with a song called hell Sun- yeah sunshine of your love <laughs> awesome Like, this isn't metal, but it's got that heavier bass and riff to it. It's getting near dawn. When lights close the tired eyes. I'll soon be with you, my love. And he's not scared of girls. No, well, he might be. Well, yeah, maybe he's gay. I think it's more the fans were scared of girls. And they were living vicariously through the hard rock guys who were just partying and doing whatever they wanted. I've been waiting so long to be where I'm going in the sunshine 
I vibe with this a lot. <laughs> That's Sunshine Girl. That's, That's a great song. awesome. I like that song a lot. That's why I put it in here. Any any chance I get to play Cream, I'm going to play it. Cream. So a lot went into the development of heavy metal, but three bands really solidified and defined what it was. They are often called the Unholy Trinity. Those bands are Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, and Deep Purple. There's lots of other things called the Unholy Trinity. Yeah. Yeah, like 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 the girls from Glee. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the cheerleaders. Glee ruins everything. Oh. <laughs> they each of those bands released albums in the early 70s that were incredibly inspirational in the development of metal. These albums featured heavy, distorted guitar power chords, mystical lyrics, guitar and drum solos, and kind of odd but distinct vocals. You good? I was making sure I was right. I am. <laughs> it was like the third search to pop up when I started typing on Holy Trinity. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Critics are divided on who is actually the first heavy metal band. British critics tend to think Black Sabbath is the first metal band. American critics tend to give it to Led Zeppelin. Deep Purple is never really in the conversation. They played a few oh. different styles of rock before switching to heavier sound in 1969 and staying in that direction. There are a couple of other bands that people talk about, like Iron Butterfly and Steppenwolf, but it's generally either Black Sabbath or Led Zeppelin were the Iron first to create Butterfly it. Butterfly is a great name. Yeah. I am loving these names. They are way better at naming things than our last <laughs> friends. I mean, you love Jefferson Airplane as a name. That's true. That's a really good one. There's a band called Blue Cheer that never really got any massive exposure, but they released a song in 1968 that was a cover called Summertime Blues, and many people say that it is the first heavy metal song. Do you want to hear Summertime Blues by Blue oh, no, Cheer? I do. House America, come on through cheer with your hit, Summertime it's like Moe. 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 Heck yeah. Cousin It over here just laying down some beats. <laughs> can't see any of their faces. They are all Sia. Except for, I don't know, I don't want to call anyone Sia right now. I think we don't like Sia. Okay. I know that, I know that people I, with autism do not love Sia. Nothing about her past Alright, that is Summertime Blues by Blue Cheer. Fun fact, Scooby-Doo has new episodes that are recent enough where they look like they're old, but they they featured Sia. Okay. So that's a thing. <laughs> Sia was on Scooby-Doo. Interesting. Fun fact. I liked that song. So the same year as that song, Steppenwolf released an album where, in the song Born to be Wild, they described a motorcycle as heavy metal thunder which was one of the first references to heavy metal in music. Is that like... Yeah. It's that song. Nice. I know it. Also on in that year, the Beatles released Helter Skelter, which was, at the time, the heaviest song released by a major band. Hmm. And it also inspired Charles Manson and his killings. So, you know, Ugh. the good and the bad. <laughs> uh. Along with Blue Cheer's album, an album by Iron Butterfly called Inagata da Vida is said to have laid the foundations of what heavy metal music would become. It really showcased the transition from psychedelic rock to heavy metal 
and is considered the turning point of acid rock. I think we listened to this. Why are none of them the originators? Because it sounds like they kind of are right now. Well, it sounds like they're the ultimate forerunners, but this is still just like the transition. And then we get to like Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath who are like our metal. These are just like elements of it are... This is also 68, which was the same time Led Zeppelin started. Don't you know that I love you? In a god of a feet of Don't you know that I always be true? Oh, won't you come with me? Vibing with this one as much. Mm-hmm. My dad loved this one. He used to do it all the time during it. That's not a bad song. Mm-hmm. Alright, well, that's in the Gata de Vida. Is that supposed to be Garden of Eden? I think it's supposed to be in the Garden of Eden, but it's in a Gata de Vida. I don't know. That's just always been my interpretation of it. <laughs> That's going to be fun for people. Let's look at that line. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that, guys. Just turn it down. It'll be fine. You're going to, you're going to edit the crap out of this and it's going to be beautiful. can't edit that. I can either cut it it out or. Just, just, just turn it down. You can do that, right? Yeah, but I don't want it. It takes so much time. Okay. Despite all of that, people generally think of the unholy trinity when they think of the birth of metal. We'll talk about Led Zeppelin in the next episode, so I'll briefly give the stories of Deep Purple and Black Sabbath in this one. But just know that Led Zeppelin's debut album in 1969 reached the top 10 in the charts and went a long way to establishing this genre as a legitimate music style. In 1967, a drummer named... My waffles. I put them on my plate. You you good? Yeah. (laughs) In 1967, a drummer named Chris Curtis contacted a London businessman about a new project he wanted to start called Roundabout. That's a good name, too. The idea was for it to be a music supergroup where talented artists would hop in and hop out of the band like a musical roundabout. Like that one uh, that one band. I don't know what you're talking about. Like Roundabout? It was a long time ago. Okay. Okay. The business, the businessman was impressed and wanted to help finance it. Throughout the next little bit, a few different musicians, all of them talented and already somewhat established, auditioned and won places in the group, still being called and touring Europe as a roundabout. The business partners, known as HCE, became frustrated with Curtis's lack of ambition, erratic behavior, and heavy LSD use, so he eventually left the project he started. During a tour of Denmark, the, the guitarist suggested the name Deep Purple as a new name, which stuck. The other option was Concrete God, but they thought it was a bit too harsh for the time. <laughs> <laughs> the band lived and worked in a house that was paid for by HCE while they recorded their first album. Nice. It's like the... I don't know, it just feels like the content organizations on like TikTok and stuff. Yes, and it's screaming Hype House right now. Yeah. And then that, that HC whatever is like, why aren't you making your daily allotment of bang TikToks? <laughs> and they're just like, man, I just don't want to do that anymore. I just want to focus on my music. I'm going to move out. It's a very specific crossover that you are referencing right now. Listen. <laughs> it's probably lost on a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> probably. You don't need to watch Hype House. It's okay. You, you were not like, missing anything. I just explained it to you. Bang TikToks. What is she talking about? <laughs> it's anyway. a little, little huddy origin story. <laughs> Deep Purple saw immediate success when a song from their first album reached number four in the American charts in 1968. Off the success of that song, they were booked to open for Cream in their final tour. Cream! Oh, gosh. 
Look at <laughs> Sorry, I'll do it again. Cream. Off this. Uh, sorry. But yeah, opening for them was a big deal at the time. It was also their last tour. So that's like a huge thing. Here is that song, which is a cover, and it's called Hush. Hush, little baby, yes, don't it's that song. Say I mean, that one's pretty dark. He has a dad stash. He is a fro. He's just a dumb Goodness. <laughs> That's a slap in the face. A little bit more chaotic than some of the stuff we've been listening to. I'm liking the chaos. Vibing. Never knew you were such a metal fan. Me neither. <laughs> okay, so far we seem to be respecting women. That is a theme in rock music, respecting women. Yeah. Their rock musicians are noted, like, noted for being great. Really wonderful human beings towards women. All right, well, that is Hush, Deep Purple's first big hit. I like how the um, album is, is Shades of Deep Purple. I think that that's smart. But their first album, despite that song doing really well in the U.S., and their second, failed to gain any success in their home country. Where are they from? England. Oh. Also, they weren't quite playing heavy metal yet. They were still doing psychedelic rock and like more progressive rock. During a, during a tour of America in 1969, two members met with the other band members to discuss wanting to take the band in a heavier direction. In order to do so, they basically had to force out two guys who were already losing interest in the group and wouldn't fit well with a heavier style. One of them was the vocalist named Rod Evans. Rod already had one foot out of the band and wanted to be an actor, so they replaced the singer and bassist with two members of a former pop group. Yeah, that'll help it be more <laughs> heavy. They started to change their sound and featured a heavier focus on the keys because their keyboardist was classically trained. After an unsuccessful attempt to merge rock and classical music, they released an album in 1970 called Deep Purple in Rock. That is the album most known for launching them into the heavy metal trinity. All right. Well, that's the 70s, so I'm already saying that they're not the beginning. Okay. It's not them. It's Led. All right. Fair enough. Before that album, the guitarist, Blackmore, took full creative control of the group and pushed them to that heavier sound. The album ushered in the most commercially successful period of the band's career. That's so interesting that the most commercially successful is like when they're doing something new. Yeah. Here is... A song from that album called Child in Time. This video is also over nine minutes long. I don't know if that's the song or just the performance. So dainty. Child in Time by Deep Purple. Was it? 
Yeah. They plan to record the follow-up album at a place called the Casino in Switzerland, but then Frank Zappa burned it down during a performance. What? So they had to change that plan. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Someone else did? Yeah. Frank Zappa, he's like a legendary rock artist who is wild. A pyro? Yeah, he's just wild. There are a lot of stories about him. What? Anyway, the experience inspired their most enduring and best known song, Smoke on the Water. Oh. Here is Smoke on the Water. I know that. Well, it was inspired by Frank Zappa burning down a casino. Good lord. Or a place called Casino. This is also like the first riff they teach anyone who's learning to play guitar. Isn't it so wild how like people who have no clue about who they are, like this is just yeah, separate. Yeah, know that riff. This is ascended. He is duck lip facing everybody. I mean, remember he was a pop vocalist. of that verse and it very just very clearly says what happened it does <laughs> like, I never knew the story behind it it's like you can't listen to the song and not know the story but anyway that's Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple that's wild thanks Frank that song and album cemented their status as a legendary rock artist despite having massive success creative differences led to even more band turnover the new singer left and was replaced but in 1974, Blackmore, who was the guitarist who largely led the creative direction, left to form a band called Rainbow. <laughs> the band turnover clearly took its toll, and after a farewell, farewell tour, Deep Purple broke up in 1976. They did not last long. Not for long, though. Oh. The classic lineup reunited in 1984 for another album, which was a platinum album called Perfect Strangers. But the old differences still simmered, and the band was constantly in member upheaval. The singer left and then came back. Blackmore left again. Despite all of that constant change, Deep Purple in some form still exists today. They released their 20th album in 2017 Whoa. and announced a cover album that released in November of 2021. Whoa. The current lineup features three members of the 1968 to 1973 classic Deep Purple period including Ian Pace, who is the last remaining original member. It's kind of ironic, since he took the spot of the drummer who originally started the whole Roundabout project. So that's Deep Purple. Kind of interesting wow. to learn a little bit more about them and Smoke on the Water. Now you'll hear that riff and be like, I know about that. Man. I know about that. I don't remember anything, but I know that I heard about them. I know it. I know that something burned down. So next, let's briefly tell the story of Black Sabbath. Do you know anything about Black Sabbath? No, it makes me think of Black Abbey. So you don't know any of the members? No, should I? Yes. Oh, no. Okay. Well, we'll get there. Marilyn Manson. <laughs> no. Maybe the prototype Marilyn Manson. After the breakup of a few different local bands in Birmingham, England, a pair of duos got together to form a hard blues band that they called... The Polka Tolk Blues Band. No. <laughs> Automatically, no. Fired. <laughs> Start over. Come back to me when you get your shit together. So these two duos were guitarist Jimmy and drummer Bill Ward, who were previously in a band called Mythology. And they saw an advertisement for two guys from a band called Rare Breed that were looking for a new band. So they enlisted those two guys, 
bassist Geezer Butler, and vocalist Ozzy Osbourne. Oh. It's Ozzy's start. Going by the name Earth at this point, they recorded a few demo records, including one called Song for Jim. Who's Jim? This was in reference to a trumpeter and band manager named Jim Simpson, who recently opened a new blues club. So it was just kind of so like, like, Jim, listen to what we can do. Yeah, basically. Jim, exactly look that. at me, man. Look, yeah. I can do a handstand. Let us play. Look, Jim, no hands. No hands in the handstand? <laughs> How did yeah. that work? Headstand. Okay. I don't know. Jim let Earth play at the Blues Club, and after great crowd response, he agreed to manage them. By the next year, they changed their name again to Black Sabbath after a song that Ozzy and Geezer wrote based off of a 1963 horror film. The song would become the opening track on their 1970 debut album that took the rock world by storm. Again, 1970. So if we're not, if we're saying it's not them. It's got to be Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Or one of the other ones who are almost metal, but not quite. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. I'm just, listen, I don't know anything, but I know chronological order (laughs) the band decided before that album to lean into the direction of that song and try to create the musical equivalent of horror films because their first single was a failure they were only given two days to record the whole album (laughs) jimmy said about it quote we thought we have two days to do it and one of the days is mixing so we basically played live Ozzy was singing at the same time. We just put him in a separate booth, and off he went. We never had a second run of most of the stuff. Cool. pretty wild. So here's the song, Black Sabbath, from which they took their name. He looks like he wants to make out with the mic. Probably does. Just painting the picture here. Now we stare. I thought I started this where they were like actually into the song, but I guess I'm... That's okay. I'm enjoying this. Black Sabbath. I don't like it. Yes, that one's not my favorite. But it wasn't the Publix either, and it did nothing. Jimmy's signature guitar sound was partially created because he tuned his guitar a half step down. This gave a little bit more bend to the strings, which he needed because a factory accident took off the tips of some of his fingers. Whoa. <laughs> the album. Does it not make everything flat? I don't know. I don't know anything about guitars. If it's tuned wrong? Yeah. It's a half step down. I don't know what that means. I'm sure people out there know. Am I? Let us know. We'll add it. We'll bring back corrections I don't know about guitars. I don't know about guitars. But like to me, that just means that it would just be kind of like. I get get how it can maybe give you a little bit more like reverb. Yeah. And bends the strings if you don't have fingertips. Sure. (laughs) But I also imagine that it would be like flat. I don't know. Well, that album was kind of a slow burn, but it managed to stay in the top 40 charts for over a year in the U.S. and eventually became platinum. The band wasted no time getting back into the studio just four months after their first release. Nice. They named the next album Paranoid after a song that they wrote in the studio because they needed something else to fill out the album. I might be paranoid. I don't think it's Someone that song. stop the noise. 
Apparently, the whole song took like 20 minutes to write, and it became the band's only top 10 UK hit. This second album showed that they still had plenty of creativity in the tank. Do you want to listen to Paranoid? I just sing it. Okay. <laughs> what? The graphics were incredible. <laughs> this definitely has a more like popular feel than that last one we listened to. I know this. Yeah. How? Have you noticed? Yeah. It's everywhere. It's still pretty popular. But everywhere, like, where? Movies, commercials. Okay. Alright, well that's Paranoid by Black Sabbath. That's Ozzy? Yep. Young Ozzy. What's old Ozzy look like? Okay, we'll look him up. What's he look like now? Yeah. Is that what, uh, who you thought he was? Yeah. Okay. Didn't he like murder someone? I don't think so. Oh. I don't think so. I, I haven't heard. He's done a lot of weird stuff though. Like I think he peed on the Alamo maybe. I don't know. There's a lot of weird Those things. Those are not the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that album also launched their first bit of controversy when a nurse committed Sharon? suicide. Sharon! Yes, that's Ozzy. Okay. Because <laughs> Sharon is his wife. Yeah, okay. So that album launched the first bit of controversy when a nurse committed suicide while listening to it. Listen, I don't, that's not the music's fault. <laughs> no, but according to parents who want to blame the music for everything because they can't figure out what's actually going on it is the music's fault (sighs) but that was the start of black sabbath being synonymous with satanism for most of the 70s and 80s the second album was successful enough for them to embark on their first u.s tour in 1971 they released two more albums in 1971 both of which were commercially successful but not as loved as paranoid but their third album featured a song written by Geezer that was about his Catholic faith. It really confused a lot of the band's fans, as you might expect. The fourth album was created in the midst of the typical rock star lifestyle of drugs and debauchery. It was more progressive than their previous records, but maintained that kind of bluesy feel. It was originally called Snowblind, the title of a song about cocaine abuse, but the label chickened out and changed it to volume four at the last minute. Boo! <laughs> Boo label! Boo! They already have the reputation of being satanic. Yeah, can't really get much worse than that. Let them call out cocaine abuse. Like, what? <laughs> well, I, it's probably more celebrating it than calling it out. I still think they should have done it. Just me. If I, if I managed a band. Yeah. So Bill Ward said about that name change, quote, there was no volume one, two, or three. So it's a pretty stupid title, really. Yeah. It's pretty bad. In 1973. Justice for Snowbird. Snowblind. Snowbird. You're changing the name on them again. It's Snowblind. You're You're no better than the label. Sorry. In 1973. They released, they released their fifth album that carried on where Volume 4 left off. Volume 5. It was met with generally great reviews. People thought it was a near-perfect metal record. At this point, they were big time. They were headlining world tours and festivals, selling millions of records, and doing a lot of drugs. Their next album, they returned to more of the traditional, toned-down blues music, minus the orchestral flourishes of their past two albums. It kind of showcased them as beaten up and weary. The musical climate was starting to change around them, and they started to kind of feel those changes. By 1976, they were struggling. Ozzy was increasingly frustrated with the group and more and more dependent on drugs. He was desperate to strike out on his own. Despite that, they started work on their next album and added a keyboardist to help fill out the sound. 
Ozzy admits that he was feeling bored with Black Sabbath at this point. He was actually admitted into a mental hospital before it was released. The album released to generally mediocre reviews. Traditionally, critics of today look back far more favorably on Black Sabbath's music than critics of the time did, but even today's critics don't love that album. They said it sounded like Black Sabbath was unraveling alarmingly fast. It didn't feature a lot of the doom and gloomy sound they were known for. Instead, it was more upbeat rock songs. Do you want to hear one of those songs? See if you can see the change. Sure, but I'm also very interested in the orchestral stuff. Like, that's cool. Well, this is a song called Dirty Women. And the misogyny is here. Definitely more just like Rocky. Mm -hmm. In 1977, Ozzy abruptly quit the band, only to want back in the next year, four days before they were supposed to go into the studio. (laughs) But he refused to sing any of the songs that were written with his replacement. So the band went into the studio with basically nothing. At this point, they were so... Why did they let him back? I mean, he's the star power. At this point, they were so heavily into drugs that they had to stop a few of the sessions because they were too stoned to record. It released a generally unfavorable response, and critics said the songs were unfocused and reflected the band's mental state at the time of recording. Which, you know, makes sense. That do be how it is sometime. (laughs) By the time of their next album, Ozzy got to a dangerously bad state. He refused to sing what the band wrote. He was doing even more drugs and drinking more than the rest of them. Jimmy said, quote, We were all doing a lot of drugs, a lot of coke, a lot of everything, and Ozzy was getting drunk so much at the time. We were supposed to be rehearsing, and nothing was happening. It was like, rehearse today? No, we'll do it tomorrow. It really got so bad that we didn't do anything. It just fizzled out. So Jimmy made the decision to fire Ozzy in 1979, which is bold. I mean... It didn't give him much other choice. Yeah, that's true. Ozzy immediately launched a very successful solo career, and that may have seemingly ended Black Sabbath for good. But they refused to go down that easy. The band's manager's manager's daughter, Sharon Arden, who later became Sharon Osbourne, suggested a new vocalist who was a perfect fit for the revamped Black Sabbath. Their next album was a huge success, becoming their third highest selling. Later, Billy Ward reached the height of his alcoholism and also announced that he'd be leaving the group. By 1983, all of the new replacement members left the group, leaving only Jimmy and Geezer. Ozzy, meanwhile, released his third chart-topping album. The group got Ian from Deep Purple and a newly sober Bill Ward to release a new album that was a critical failure. Ward relapsed during the recording, so he was out of the group again, and then Ian rejoined Deep Purple, and Geezer went solo. So that left only Jimmy, who was basically forced to put Black Sabbath on hiatus. Between 1986 and 1994, they had nearly constant lineup changes, with one album basically being a Jimmy solo album. But they still released a few different albums until 1994's Forbidden, which was their 18th studio album that would be the last for a very long time. Jimmy, Billy Ward, Geezer, and Ozzy, the original four, reunited in 1997 for a live album that won a Grammy, but it wasn't until 2013 that they released a new album called 13 and produced by Rick Rubin. I'm assuming you don't know who Rick Rubin is. Uh -uh. He's legendary, like probably the most legendary producer currently still working he did a lot of early hip-hop like he was huge in that it would be their final album in 2017 they ended their last tour appropriately called the end in their hometown of birmingham 
After that final tour and show that Billy Ward refused to participate in, they announced that they were closing the lid on Black Sabbath after 50 years. Dude. They've each gone back and forth on whether they will reunite with them saying one-off shows aren't out of the question. Ozzy and Geezer have both said it's done, but Jimmy seems to want to do a tour. Billy says he doesn't have the chops or the desire to do another tour, but he wouldn't mind doing an album with the guys again. So it's kind of up in the air, but as of right now, Black Sabbath is dead. Though the guys still like work together on various other projects from time to time. Can we hear a song from 13? Um, okay. I'm really curious about what this sounds like. Semi-modern. We'll just do Loner. That seems dark and depressing and moody. It's like the same vibe better production. That riff sounds That's heavy metal. Heavy wow. metal in general slumped pretty seriously at the end of the 1970s, but it picked up major new steam in the 80s with the new wave of British heavy metal led by bands like Def Leppard and Iron Maiden. But we'll have to talk about that another time. That's cool. Yeah. We're going to talk about Led Zeppelin next week, and then you can give your final final ruling on who is the king. Led Zeppelin. Well, okay, not the founder, the king. Like, who is oh. the best, who did the most to solidify it as an important genre. It's probably not fair since Led Zeppelin gets a whole episode and the other two got, like, brief in one. But, you know, whatever. That's really cool. Any any closing remarks? I'm surprised that I like the early stuff as much as I do. I figured you would. It's a lot more just, like, compared to what we would think of metal now, it's right. a lot more just, like, groovy rock type stuff. Yeah, I vibe with Like, it. metal now is a lot more screaming, and especially, like, black metal and stuff. It's, it gets kind of brutal. All right, well, join us whenever whenever we do this again. Join us! <laughs> where we'll talk about Led Zeppelin. Follow us on Twitter. I might talk about when we're releasing a new, another episode on there. Share us with your friends. Tell them, tell them that we're... We're very professional. Tell them that we're hanging really in well. there, baby. Anything <laughs> <laughs> to say? Good night, New York! <laughs>